Today's guest is Amy Lind. Here's our job talk with a criminal defense attorney. Welcome to the Job Talk podcast, where we talk with people who love their jobs. Our guests open up about their challenges, surprises, and secrets to success in their industries. Through conversation, we explore their careers, past work experiences, and the education that got them to where they are now. When I was in high school, uh, I didn't exactly uh, concentrate on my studies uh, very hard. I basically uh, used it as a social gathering spot. I ended up with a lot of uh, grades in the 60s and 70s. And I could remember a teacher trying to help me, telling me that we're in competition with your friends and classmates to get the best mark possible so you can get into the school of your choice. So I didn't really understand that concept until much later uh, when I went into college. How were you in high school? What kind of a student were you? And did you always know that you wanted to get into law? So I was a good student, but I actually went to a fine arts school. So when I was in high school, I was acting, directing, singing, dancing, and focusing a lot of my energy on that. I didn't even really do super academic classes, um, but always a good student. I think one of the people, like one of those like A-type people that puts everything into everything, regardless of what it is, even if it's like how terrible I am at slow pitch, I'll still try really hard. Um, So definitely, definitely still a good student, put a lot of work into everything. But at the time I was trying to make the most out of high school and thinking, you know, there's no way I'm going to be, you know, in the Grammys or the Oscars. So I'll do it now and I'll worry about what I want to do after that. Um, I didn't decide to go to law school until about two years into university. So I did not plan that at all. I thought I would do psychology or social work. Um, and it was actually through participating in a dance club that some people were like, you should go to law school. So it wasn't even really my idea. Can't even take credit for it. Could you talk about the process of getting into law law school? I know you have to write an LSAT. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's a couple different things you have to do. First of all, you can't go directly into law school. You have to have a degree first or at least three years of schooling. So most people get a full degree in arts. You know, it's pretty common to do psychology, business, or political sciences. Um, And once you have a couple years under your belt, then you can apply to law school. Um, Most people on average, the average age going into law school was 27. So they typically take a couple years off, do a couple years of school, not necessarily in that order, and then apply to law school. Um, You can go as a mature student as well, but that's a less common route. So once you have a couple years under your belt in terms of schooling, you can apply and you have to have taken the LSAT, which is a standardized examination that tests like your reading comprehension, some math problem skills and essay writing skills. It's like a full day test. Um, And then every school is different. So they'll look at your LSAT grade inevitably, but then also some schools will look at your last three years of grades in university. Some will look at your last two. And then they combine those two, and that's what determines whether you get in or not to law school. How can a student prepare to write an LSAT? And are you only allowed to write it a certain amount of times? So you, there are practice exams. So you can go to, for example, the university bookstore. You can buy little booklets that will give you practice exams, and you can time yourself and do it. 
You can also take LSAT prep courses, which is just someone who did well on the LSAT teaching you tips and tricks for it. I didn't do any of that, probably should have, would have been a good idea. Um, but the biggest thing is that people don't time themselves or that when they're doing their practices. And so that's a huge important part because you are timed during the LSAT. You can continue to write them, however they average. So if you do really bad on one and really good on the other, they're gonna take the average of the two. So there's a risk in continuously writing them as well. Okay, so you write the LSAT, um, you get your mark back, um, you apply for law school after that. And may I ask where, where you went to law school? Um, excuse me, yes. Uh, so you can write your LSAT even before you apply or you might not get your grade back till you apply. So I wrote my LSAT in September. You had to apply in October. This was, I was in my third year of university, uh, or no, sorry, I was in my fourth year, so I really waited. Um, and then I got my mark back in December. So I'd already applied and taken the chance, um, and I found out in March whether I was in. But most people will not be as a little lazy about that. Um, I just went to the University of Alberta, and it was the only place I applied, which also not the best technique. You definitely should apply across many different places, but um, I only wanted to go to the U of A. It's the only place I applied. Okay. Is the level of competition extremely, is it quite competitive to get in? To the U of A or to law school in general? Let's, let's talk about to your experience with the U of A. Yes. Um, I didn't realize it perhaps at the time, but I think they said about 7% of applicants get in. So you have to think that like an arts degree now is very difficult to, to get a job with. Everybody has one. So you have all these people coming out with sociology degrees, psychology degrees, business degrees, and they don't know what else to do. So they apply to law school. What advice could you give to somebody applying? Because they're not just going to look at grades, are they? I know obviously grades and the average is important, but do they look at other things that you might volunteer to do or some of your personal interests? Does that play any factor into you getting in? So every law school I think is a little different, but I'll be honest from what we're told about the admission process, it is your grades and your LSAT. So um, every university will actually post on their website what they're looking at. So for example, the U of A will tell you, we're gonna look at your LSAT and we're gonna look at the last 60 credits of courses that you did, which is two years of university. And we're taking 50% and 50%, we're giving you a grade, the top X people get in, period. Um, the universities in BC look at your last 90 credits, so your last three years. Um, some schools will weight it differently, so they'll say, you know, 70% LSAT, 30% grades. Um, so every school is different, but most of them truly just look at your grades and your LSAT. However, they have something called rolling admissions. And what that means is they'll give people um, their admissions in February or March. But there's a lot of people who've applied to a lot of different schools. So they might reject some of the schools, in which case that school is going to start going down the line. I had a friend in law school who didn't find out until the week before school started that she got in. When they start getting to that point where they're comparing you to someone else and they're not sure where you fall, that's when they're going to look at your personal essay or your resume. But it's not the main thing. The main thing truly is your grades and your LSAT. To get into law school, to get a job is a different story. Okay, and we'll get into that. When you're, how many years is law school in order to get your degree? And so okay. how, how intense is it 
are you able to have a part-time job while you're studying law or are you just immersed in the education to become a lawyer? So the schooling is three years on top of whatever you've done before that. Um, you can do a fourth year if you want to do a mixed law and business degree. Um, it's pretty immersive in the first year. So I can only speak to the U of A, which is the place that I went, but you take seven courses rather than five and they're full year long courses. And the most intense thing is that the majority of the classes are a hundred percent one examination and that's your grade. So you're doing your studies for an entire year and then you're tested on it. Some of them will have um, a midterm that's worth 20 or 30%, but for the most part, it's pretty significant examinations. Um, so the first year I would say is pretty immersive. You're adapting. You're also going to school with a bunch of other people who got A's and you're still curved. So there is a lot more intensity into learning the volume of the information you're learning. But for me, I had a part-time job in second and third year of law school. I think that that generally is not that common, but the the amount of work like class load isn't that much. By the time you're in second or third year, you're in class maybe nine to 12 hours a week because you're only in five classes, um, but you're there's a lot of volume that you're having to read in advance of your classes if you choose to. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you're still gonna run into a wide range of people. I did keep up my grades, I still kept on with an A average in law school, which was really, by no means was I the smartest person there, but I think it was just a work ethic thing, but I also was able to have a job, and I was working 20, 30 hours a week in my third year. Wow, that sounds stressful to me. I had no fun, and I didn't party though, <laughs> so balance, you know. I, I think it's important for our listeners to hear that though, because it's the reality of the situation. What are some of the classes in law school? And then we'll we'll talk about when you graduate and you decide on, I guess, what kind of a lawyer you want to be or what kind of law you want to practice. So what are specifically some of the classes that you're taking? Yeah, so in your first year, there's mandatory classes that everybody has to take. So everyone takes like a basic criminal procedure. Everyone takes constitutional law and you know torts which is like personal injury type of stuff um, but there's such a wide range I focused on criminal so I could take sentencing I took constitutional litigation which is arguing everything from aboriginal rights to criminal prosecutions um, there's advocacy classes there's also like oil and gas or um, military law so there's a, a wide range of courses there's like tax stuff that I definitely was not interested in but lots of people do um, and then there's classes, again, that everyone has to take professional responsibility, um, ethics, things like that. Okay. So you get through law school, you graduate. I imagine you graduated with high marks. Let's, what was your first step after you graduated? Do you immediately start looking for a job or maybe there's a job placement? I don't know. I think it's yeah. called articling actually, is it? That's right. Yeah. Okay. It's called everything. Yeah. Um, it's actually so crazy because as soon as you are in law school, like within the first month of your first year, you are already interviewing for jobs, which is insane. Um, so in first year, they have something called on-campus interviews, and that's for summer positions so that you could have a summer job between first and second year. And that's all civil and corporate law firms. There's not an opportunity for government work or criminal work at that stage. And so 
These major firms will come, you'll send in resumes and apply, they will pick a few people, interview and have you, by October you'll have a job for your first year, which is, I don't know what they're basing that off of because you've been in law school for five seconds. But that aside, you actually apply for your articles at the end of your second year. So when you're done your second year of law school, applications for articling happen that May and June. And then you interview, you get a job in June, and you go and do your third year of law school. So that by the time you're done third year, you have a month off and you are starting articling. So you don't wait until you've graduated. You actually do that during the law school process. Um, not everybody gets an article, but most people do get an article even before they're done law school. My first question with the law that you're practicing is, how do you decide whether you're going to take a client on or not? That's a tough one. When you start in your first year, second year, you're kind of just taking everything because you're trying to learn. It's a steep learning curve. Law school teaches you like textbook law. It doesn't teach you how to practice law. And so you're kind of taking everything that you can to build a practice and to try and get familiarity. The biggest difference between civil and criminal is that in a big civil firm, you're just working for Epcor or some like big company and some partners giving you little projects to work on. In criminal, right from the get-go, you have your own clients and you're working on those clients. So you'll take a lot of pro bono, a lot of legal aid, a lot of people who can't afford, you know, like say for example, my fees as a 10-year lawyer, the first-year lawyer is going to take that and kind of take everything, including traffic tickets. Um, as you get like further along in your career, you can be a little bit more... Um, I don't want to say picky, but picky yeah. where you can start saying, you know, um, I'm only willing to take clients who can pay my fees or, um, you know, now I'm, you're not going to take a, a murder file in your first year, but maybe, you know, by 10 years out, you have that experience. So the business part of it really does play a major factor. But the, the thing I think that most people ask is like, well, what if you don't want to take a case because it's criminal. So obviously there might be things that I'm not okay with. I do draw the line at some things. Um, and fortunately nobody forces you. So if there's something that you feel uncomfortable with, whether that's the nature of the crime that the person's being accused of, the person, maybe you just get a gut feeling. You can just say, you're not going to be best represented by me. You deserve to have the best representation. That's what our system is built on. And I can't give you that. And so you can kind of turn that down. I've only had that happen a handful of times. Um, it's a weird place to draw the line, but for me, like, I just can't take myself to represent someone who's charged with a hate crime. So yeah. I just say, not interested. And, and that's okay. Can we talk about what your day to day is like when you, when you arrive at the office and maybe we have to split that into two parts. Maybe there's a day to day when you're working in the office and then a day to day when you, you have to appear in court. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So the best, the best thing about criminal law is that every single day is different. And that is true for the cases and the clients that you're dealing with, but also your day. Sometimes it can be frustrating because you think that you know how your day is going to go and then something erupts and doesn't happen. But if I'm going to court, typically I get to the office around 7.30. Court starts at 9 or 10, depending on where your court is. So I usually gather um, the information that I've already prepped and prepared um, you know, refresh it in my mind, then head to court. Court, like I said, starts at 9 or 10. If I'm in a trial, I usually meet with my client a few minutes beforehand. That's never the first time I'm meeting with them, obviously. 
Um, and then it's like a full day of court. It's usually from nine till four. You'll have a lunch break sometimes, sometimes you won't. Um, I'm not really sure what to say in terms of the day to day. It's pretty like it's, it's not as um, dramatic as you see on TV, but it is pretty similar. Witnesses will get on the stand, they'll be questioned, I'll get to cross-examine them, we'll make argument, and off we'll come back home. Now, my gosh, that just tells you right there, I just called my office my home, because that is like kind of how it feels sometimes. So after court, you'll come back to the office, and usually you still have to deal with the stuff that was happening while you were gone, emails, messages, or prepping for your next day, because a trial isn't always one day, so there's still work to be done when you get back to the office. And on a tri in the midst of a multi-day trial, I'm usually working into the evening. Um, so that's like a trial, I guess a court day. Um, but it's not always trial. Like sometimes we'll go to court for a bail hearing or for a guilty plea or for something more minor, um, which right now because of COVID, we actually get to do by video. So it's a little bit um, easier to stay in the office. If I'm having an office day, I can show up to work anywhere between 7.30 and 9. I kind of have that flexibility. And usually the first thing I'm doing is going through my emails um, to see what has come up. Uh, I'm pretty hands-on with my administrative stuff, so I'll also make sure that all my court appearances are handled, that um, I have client meetings, and then I start just going through police reports. So I usually have a stack of files that police reports have come in on that I now need to go through to see, you know, is there a defense, can they prove this, and then once I've done that, I'll set an appointment with my client. So my days usually consist of a mix of going through the police reports and meeting with clients. Not speaking to the specifics of the case that you were on, but could you speak to how you were feeling the first time you appeared in court to represent someone? Okay. Uh, well, I've been a lawyer <laughs> for 10 years and that doesn't include articling. So that's been at the firm for 11 years. And when I was in law school, I worked for student legal services, which is law students helping people who can't afford representation. Um, I do remember being like deer in headlights. Like I, I didn't know what to do or to expect, but surprisingly the courts were very kind and just kind of directed me through the process. I, I truly can't remember what it felt like. However, I think that I wouldn't be the best person to ask because theater background, I'm used to like being on stage and I probably just faked it in some way. But um, I, I think for the first five years, I would struggle to sleep at night because I'd be like running through my head what I was going to do the next day. And like, what if this happens? It was like a choose your own adventure. And now it's like that doesn't happen because you get used to it and you trust yourself a lot more. Excellent. What, what do you love about being an attorney? I think I like two things. One, that it's always different. And two, I wanted to do social work, partly. And with criminal law in particular, it is a lot of that. You're dealing with mental health. You're dealing with addictions. You're dealing with people who are at the lowest of their low, and they really, truly rely on you. It really makes a difference. Uh, you feel like you're making a difference. What are some of the more uh, obvious challenges of being a lawyer? Well, for criminals specifically, you're not, it's kind of thankless. You get questioned a lot about how can you represent those people. People think that you don't care about crime or that you, um, you're like a uh, like sleazy car salesman. So that's pretty frustrating. Um, as a lawyer in general, the biggest challenge is that it's not all glamour. 
it really isn't. You put in a lot of work and a lot of hours, and it can be very difficult to have a work-life balance, particularly when you're young and in the first couple of years when you're trying to build a practice, you feel like you're working all the time. And maybe uh, we can get into some of the misconceptions um, that face that lawyers face. Mm-hmm. What what are some misconceptions out there that you'd like to maybe clarify or clear up? I think definitely that people should know it's not glamorous. Um, I think we have this perception from a lot of TV shows that lawyers, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, they have nice houses or they take nice vacations and, and that's true, but this isn't like suits where you're working in a fancy office and wearing nice clothes and who knows what you're doing and every day is in sunset. No, it's it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of grueling work by yourself in your office. You give up a lot. It's all consuming. Um, and it's very difficult for a lot of particularly women to start families because it is all consuming on your life. So that's really important. It's not all glamour and galas. Um, I think that's probably generally true for lawyers. Um, the only other thing I can think of is really specific to criminal law, which is like I said, that um, we like don't care and that we are okay with people committing crimes and that we um, just represent bad people. And that's not true at all. Um, and I always tell people, you'll say that until you need me because you've been wrongly charged with something. And we see it more and more and more, um, unfortunately. And so I still care. I still don't want crime to be committed. Um, however, I also strongly believe that people deserve a fair trial. Sometimes when I see some of the high-profile cases often down in the, the U.S., I'm surprised um, in certain circumstances, a, f- a fairly serious case, that humor uh, comes into the courtroom. Is or Do you have any stories of any kind of uh, comedy or, or humor that's taken place? Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I guess technically they're public uh, knowledge, so that's definitely my coping mechanism. Um, place and time for sure but it it always comes up in little ways Um, I had I do remember this one case I was doing it was a drug pipeline case which for people who don't know is Edmonton to Jasper kind of Vancouver they call that the pipeline of drugs getting them in and out of of Alberta and so I was talking to an officer cross-examining an officer about um, you know some of the things that he were saying he said were suspicious about this vehicle were totally innocuous like this person was driving to Kelowna. And I was like, please, have you never been to Kelowna? And he was like, no, I actually haven't. I've never left Alberta. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, we're talking about, there was like garbage bags in the truck. And I'm like, oh no, not garbage bags. Like what could possibly be in them? Do you rake your leaves? And he was like, I actually don't have a yard. So it's just like this constant thing where it's like, you know, he's like, I swear to God, I do do some stuff, you know? So it's like little things like that where you're almost like making fun of an officer for like, this sort of like um, normal innocuous things. But I've also had some really crazy things happen. Like I had a, I'll, I'll keep this as vague as possible, but I had a Crown Prosecutor take a piece of evidence that was believed to have drug residue and then put it in their mouth. And I was like, um, what's happening? So then, you know, later on when that prosecutor held up a little baggie and was like, what is this? Is this drugs? I was like, why don't you put it in your mouth? And you know? like, so just some of the stuff that you're dealing with, you're like, am I in a circus here? I'm not sure. But um, 
it's I would say the humor comes out more in the office with each other, making making light of situations or making fun of people. Um, we try to sort of maintain decorum or professionalism in the courts. Okay. Uh, I only have a few more, a couple more questions for you. That might be a lie, but we'll see how we do here. Um, are there any uh, surprise, has anything surprised you through your career as a lawyer? I feel like in criminal law, at some point you become numb to them because of the amount of crazy things that happen. But I would say there's been a couple surprises, um, not necessarily for the better. So I was surprised. I went through life and through school and through my job thinking that I am very capable and competent and never felt that my sex or gender ever had an, an impact. Um, it is astonishing the amount of sexism that still exists in law. Um, and what I mean by that is when I was in law school, I had someone that we were going to help for free. And they said, you know, I want a fourth year. And I'm like, there's no fourth year in law school. You get me or you get no one. And they were like, actually, I just want a male. And I was like, okay. Um, and I still, 11 years out, get a similar type of thing where some people want females. And most people trust women equally to do a job. But every once in a while, you'll get the person where they're on hold for a lawyer. And I pick up the phone and they're like, um, yeah, I'm holding for a lawyer. I'd have to be like, and you're speaking to one. Oh, yeah. It's very frustrating. And, and I realize that maybe they just think I'm an assistant and it's not clear to them that I'm a lawyer. But I, I know for certain that that would not be happening if a male lawyer had picked up the phone. So I do find that to be frustrating. Um, and I've heard a lot of stories from friends um, in law firms about being treated by opposing counsel in a way that is very misogynist. And that it's unfortunate. Um, and, and that is changing, but I think there is still this idea that law is a male's world, um, which is crazy because 50% of people graduating law school are female. Uh, females are leaving the profession faster than anyone else. And um, also, like, women are typically, just to put some stereotypes out there, more A-type, more prepared, more organized. Males have a lot of moxie, a lot of intelligence, but that doesn't mean that they're always going to be the ones to be best representing certain people. So um, I guess that's really surprising and still really frustrating um, that you feel like you come into the conversation having to prove yourself and a male can come into the conversation already having that respect, which uh, is really surprising and annoying when you're in a profession that I think most people already respect. So that has been a surprise. Um, in terms of the practice of law, I guess the surprise has been, there's so many situations that arise that don't already have an answer. And you think with how long law has been an issue, everything should have already happened and have an answer, but it hasn't. And there's always a need for creative um, reasoning, I guess. What do you like to do when you're not uh, practicing law? I play on a soccer team and a slow pitch team. Exercise is super important uh, for stress relief as well. Um, but I still cha channel that like fine arts high school day. So um, I got so lucky when I started law. I had no idea this was a thing, but my old high school and 
a group of lawyers from the community created a foundation together to raise money for the arts. So that's a fantastic thing that I'm involved in. Um, but I also sit on the board for Shakespeare in the Park, which is um, at Horlack Park. It runs for three or four weeks, and it's just a really super approachable um, way to get into Shakespeare. And I actually auditioned to be a fairy when I was in grade 10. So it goes back again to those days. So it's if you don't know about it, it's wonderful. It's in Horlack Park. It's $35. I think there's like student Sundays that are cheap and um, it's from seven to like 10 and there's just a show and there's popcorn and licorice and wine and beer and just a good, great time. And um, I always plug people to go on Canada Day because then you're in Horlock Park and you can go watch the fireworks. So I, I kind of still try to use um, my interest in fine arts to uh, kind of give myself a, a balance. And I will say, I think that that's a flaw that most lawyers have is that they don't have something yeah. else going on and they should. And for our listeners, uh, that is for people living in El Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, I imagine your uh, your uh, skill as a uh, performer and actor uh, helps you practice law as well. I think so. Um, both in terms of not having the same concern over nerves, but also in terms of, you know, when you're making a closing argument to a jury, that jury is no longer listening to what witnesses or accused persons have to say. They're listening to you. So you need to tell a story in a convincing way. And that's not from reading from a piece of paper. So I always say that learning monologues when I was in fine arts and, and learning how to present and, and how to be compelling was a technique that really surprisingly worked out in law because I don't need to read from a piece of paper. I have a very good technique on how to learn uh, or memorize closing arguments. Yes. What advice could you give to somebody uh, that's trying to decide if they want to pursue a career in law? Is there any advice you can give that person? Yeah, a couple of things. One, I would say talk to as many lawyers as you can because we love to talk about our jobs. We love to tell you what it's really like. Um, and we're interested in telling you about the different um, career paths you can do, what law school's really like, what practicing law is really like, and I've had high school students shadow me. So reach out because people will take you under their wing and try to help you as much as they can and talk to as many different ones as you can as well. And that includes me. If you have listeners who are interested in, in speaking to someone, I'm always happy to take a phone call and you know get into some of the nitty gritties that maybe aren't even on this podcast. Um, I think as well, um, find a mentor. Find a really good mentor who um, can give you advice throughout the stages of your career. And that includes not just the, the nature of law, like you can read a textbook, but how to handle um, your career decisions, how to handle opposing counsel, things that they don't teach you. Find a good mentor um, and use them as much as you can. Um, and the last thing I would say is if you are going to go into law, I went straight from high school straight into, into university, straight into law school. And I was a lawyer by 24. And that worked for me. Now I'm you know 35 and I've been a lawyer for 10 years. But the thing that I hear from a lot of people is that they wish they had taken a bit of time before they went into law. So I would say do that. Travel, take a big trip, do something because law and law school can be all consuming, particularly in the first five years before you're established, before you have, you know, that flexibility to have a work-life balance, 
it's pretty much an all-consuming profession and you're going to be putting a lot of work and effort and time into it. So take some time to, to do some of the things you really want to do um, first. Excellent advice. Is there anything that I didn't ask you uh, that you would like to share or do you think we, we, we covered it well? Um, no, I, I mean, I think, I think we mostly covered it. I, I guess I want to make sure that I'm not leaving your listeners with the perception that law is all work. It is a lot of work and that's, we constantly remind people of that, but it's a lot of fun. Um, if you find the type of law that you really like, and if you are able to find hobbies outside of law that you like, it's not, it's not just work. It's not always 90 hour weeks. It's not, um, you know, always this grueling process. You make some really good friends, you meet some really awesome people, and you're going to have a lot of opportunities that open up for you because of the profession. Excellent. And with that, Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for tuning in to the Job Talk podcast. For more information, please visit us at thejobtalk.com.